I was sitting down here with all of the um, goings on this morning, the things you've had to do, and uh, sitting down thinking now, do I preach what I've got or do I have a re re revised version? I can hear my wife saying, be careful of the revised version because you, <laughs> you're not quite sure what you leave out and what you add in. And uh, so I'm in a quandary. I can leave out all the illustrations and that probably make it even more boring. But we'll see where we, where we land this morning. Because I wanted to share around the, um, the carol that we didn't sing this morning, but a little town of Bethlehem and one that we don't uh, sing a lot. But we know that uh, Christmas is a, it's a great time of the year and, uh, and no doubt we can all just sit back and relax and we've got at least two and a half days or two days until Christmas comes and we're just going to sit back and ponder and rest and relax and think, oh, isn't it great to come to Christmas totally relaxed? And that's what we want. I read of a, um, a mother who was furiously running from store to store on Christmas Eve. Graham was watching this one and getting last-minute gifts. And then, lo and behold, she looked around, her three-year-old son was missing. Oh, where's the little brat gone? And, and so then she retracts the steps, and there she finds the kid with his face looking in through a window, and he says to Mum, look, Mum, I can see little Jesus lying in the hay. And Mum says, oh, look, you should stay with me. Don't you realise I'm getting ready for Christmas? and uh, miss out on all the joy because so busy doing stuff. And I wonder sometimes if we get so busy about doing the things we have to do that we forget the joy of celebrating all that Christ has for us. And I want this Christmas to be a time where we are really able to enjoy the wonder, the love of the Lord, how great a gift our God was able to give to us when he gave his son. What better way to um, be able to celebrate the birth of Jesus than to be together in a place of worship? What better way to celebrate Christmas Day than to come and hear Graham preach short on Christmas morning? 15 minutes. And that's usually his, that's usually his introduction. But we just want to have a great day. We want to come together as a church family and say, on Christmas Day, we want to celebrate what it's all about. You know, we might even sing happy birthday to Jesus. And I think we just want to appreciate so much all that our Lord has done for us. But the, the carol, A Little Town of Bethlehem, was never written as a Christmas carol. But an American preacher by the name of Philip Brook, he made a trip to the Holy Land. And in his 20s, Brooks had become pastor of a church in Philadelphia. Uh, he recruited a salesman who was named by Lewis Redner to be his organist. And the church grew from 30 to 1,000 within 12 months. Some of it because of uh, Brooks was a great preacher. Some of it because um, uh, Redner was a great musician. And uh, Redner, Brooks had a great reputation and towards the end of the Civil War, uh, Abraham Lincoln passed away and Brooks was asked to uh, preach at his, um, at his funeral. And he did that. But at the end of the, um, that time, he was so emotionally drained that his church told him to take a sabbatical. And so Phillips Brooks made a trip to Jerusalem. And on Christmas Eve, he rode from Jerusalem to Bethlehem 
just to be at the place where Jesus was born. And Brooke said he just had a, a beautiful sense of, of being in that place where Christ was born. And he wrote the, he wrote the words to the, um, to the poem and he took it back and he thought on the Sunday, he said, I'd love to have my church sing that. And so he went around uh, late in the evening to Lewis Redner and said to Redner, I've got this song, would you write some music for it? And, uh, and so Redner said he didn't have a clue what to do. And, but at midnight he said he just sensed a, some you know, melody coming into his mind as, uh, as he began to think about that song. And so he got out of bed at midnight and he jotted down the melody line. In the morning he got up and wrote the harmony. And uh, the that morning in church, they sang a little town of Bethlehem, and I think that's a uh, you know it's a great way that to, when you read the way some of these choruses, these carols, came to being, there's a real special blessing in that itself. But the first thing that I, I looked at as I went through this carol, I noticed that God uses small things to accomplish great things. God uses small things to accomplish great things. And the number of times over the years I've talked to people and people feel, I've got nothing to offer. And God says, well, if that's all you've got, then you're a great candidate. You've got all I want. And let's talk about it. God's greatest gift came to a little town. A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I wonder in church society, how many of you grew up in a small town? Oh, look at that. Man, a lot of you grew up in a small town. Did you put your hand up, Roseanne? Good stuff. You wouldn't believe it. Roseanne and I, we both grew up in the same town. It's a worry, isn't it? But it's, uh, it was a great place. And so I'm just going to make a couple of comments here. I was going to leave these out, but I thought I'd put them in. But um, how do you know you're from a small town? Well, you know you're in a small town when you call the wrong number and they give you the right one. <laughs> Ever done that? I remember years ago when we were back on the farm in Gainda and... Um, and Glenn's parents were trying to contact us and they couldn't contact us. They were ringing and ringing and ringing to try to get in contact with us. They couldn't get through until the, the girl on the exchange said, try this number, they will tell you where they are. Well, that's it. You don't get that today. Um, you know you're in a small town when you don't signal where you're going because everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, I think we've driven around a few of those people over the years. A night on the town takes about 11 minutes. <laughs> and, and I put on my notes here, if you're getting this, you come from a small town. And, uh, but now some of you mightn't get this one, but the New Year's Day baby was born in October. Think about that one. But, but you, know, you know you're in a small town when you have to name six surrounding towns to tell you where you are. So if somebody says, where were you born? Gainda. Where's Gainda? Well, it's inland from Bundaberg and Mariborough, from Kingaroy and Monto. We're right in the middle and then we can find us. Well, I guess if we were driving to Bethlehem, 
we'd probably hear somebody say, well, if you get to Bethlehem, you're about two miles from Jerusalem. So you have to try to identify where it was. And, and it's interesting, as I've been looking, you see some talk about Bethlehem as a city and some talk about it as a little village. And uh, just doing a bit of reading, I found out that someone said about the time of Christ, Bethlehem might have only been a town of about 150, 200 people, very small. But Bethlehem was where Jesus was born. And yet it's an important town. And as you read through scripture in Genesis, Jacob's wife, Rachel, was buried there. When she was giving birth to her last son, she passed away and she named the son Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob changed the boy's name to Benjamin. I think, I'm so glad of that. Can you imagine how a lot of little Benonis running around? You know, Benjamin's got a better ring to it, hasn't it? You know, Benjamin, uh, Bethlehem is featured in the book of Ruth because it's where um, Ruth was redeemed by Boaz, became a part of the line of King David, became a part of the Messianic line. Years later, we know that Bethlehem, along with all of Israel, were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And as they were taken into captivity... The prophet Micah made this prophecy. But you, Bethlehem, be Pathrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. If the, I'm not reading the, the scriptures there this morning, but if you want to read Micah 5, 2 to 5, and also Matthew 1, 18 to 25, you get a good picture of what was being talked about. And, and we know that 700 years after the um, prophecy that was given there in Micah, the wise men came looking for Jesus, the one they had heard about, and they came to Bethlehem looking for Jesus. And the thing that thrills me today is that God still chooses small, pa- uh, small places and small people to do great things for him. I think there are many, many times we feel we are so inadequate. There are many, many times that we feel we have not got much to offer. But the reality of life is that God says, I don't care how much you've got to offer. All I want is you to trust me to do with you what I want to do. And so God wants our obedience. God chooses ordinary people. And I was thinking, I was reading in Judges, and I love the, uh, the story of Gideon. Who would have guessed that God to take a scared man and use him to bring great victory for the country, for the, for the, uh, for the nation? You know, I, I love to read in Judges 6 verse 12. Have a read that, that chapter. And I see, you know, they're in, absolutely been overrun by the Assyrians. And here's Gideon. He is sitting in the winepress with a little bit of grain, grinding it up so he can have something to eat. And, and he hears the voice says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I can see Gideon almost getting whiplash looking around to see who else is in here. You know, he didn't feel that. But God took an ordinary, fearful man and used him for his glory. Who would have guessed that God could take a simple cobbler and turn him into one of the greatest preachers that uh, we have known? D.L. Moody. Moody was just an ordinary guy. But God used him. But the story I love about Moody is that there was a, 
a man by the name of Henry Varley, and I shared this at one of our evening services, that Henry, Henry Varley was a, a lay preacher in a church. And you probably never heard of Henry Varley. Who's heard of Henry Varley? Yeah, I thought so. But Henry Varley was just an ordinary lay preacher. And one night he was asked to preach in his church and Henry Varley got up in church and he preached and he said these words, the world has yet to see what God can do in and through and by and with a man who is 100% sold out to God. And that night, D.L. Moody said, I'll be that man. Thank God for Henry Varley. Thank God for men like Moody. But who would imagine that God can take an ordinary person just like you and use you to do great things for the kingdom of God if you will let him? See, that's where the battle comes, isn't it? We think we've got to do it and we think we haven't got the ability but we've all heard that little phrase, I believe, that says, God doesn't want your abilities. He wants your availability. And I think many of us need to come to that point. You know, I think that the people I find who often struggle most in, in serving are people who are multi-talented. But people who have one gift and allow God to use it will see God work in them and through them for his glory. And God wants you and he wants me at this time as we come to celebrate Christmas to say, God, we want this to be the best Christmas we can ever, ever experience because we are going to be with you and we're going to trust you. God's greatest gift came through a humble family. The second verse says, For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. Mary and Joseph were just ordinary people. There was nothing really, really fancy about them. Joseph was a carpenter. Mary was a simple peasant girl. I know this is not in my notes, but, but I often wonder, I wonder what Jesus said. In, you know, he was in the carpenter's shop. And I wonder what Jesus said when he hit his thumb with a, with a hammer. <laughs> I've often wondered that. What do you think, Neil? You know, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not quite sure whether it was a praise the Lord in there or what, but that's irrelevant. Forget that bit. But, but Mary and Joe, just ordinary people, who, because they were obedient to God, were able to do extraordinary things for him. Because they were ordinary people who wanted to serve and honour God, God said, I'm going to trust you with the greatest gift I can ever give, my son, me, God. I'm going to come down and I'm going to trust you, a couple of very ordinary people, to be really special people. And that's what God can do when ordinary people will trust themselves to him. And you know, folk, it's while we are patiently serving 
the Lord that we will experience the blessings of God being poured out upon us. You know, this month we have been honouring our volunteers and yet I do not believe that any one of our volunteers serve in the church for recognition. We serve because it's the greatest privilege we can have to serve the King of Kings. I think we've all heard that statement that says, if God calls you to be a servant, do not stoop to be a king. Because God gives us the greatest privilege of serving him, of walking with him, and that is an absolute blessing. You know, there are times I think we might feel that the little we do doesn't make much impact, but we don't know. You see, there might be a lot of Henry Varleys in this room who we don't know what we are doing or what we're saying and how God's going to use it to make an impact, but God will. I was going to leave this one out, but I think I'll include it for you. <clears throat> I read in, uh, recently about a um, during the end of the Second World War when England were, were bombing Berlin and they were sending wave after wave of plane over and the Germans were attacking them. And they said that one of the uh, British uh, planes was separated and, uh, and was being strafed by some of the German fighters. And they said the, uh, they just saw the, this, this one German plane just absolutely just shooting into the uh, British uh, plane. And, uh, and as they were doing that, the people in the plane, they said later that they were just knew something was going to happen. But they were just there and they felt the, the thud, 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 thud of bullets hitting into the fuselage of the plane. And, uh, and they looked and there was fuel pouring out of it, but there was no explosion. And they didn't know why. But when they got back to base, they were able to land the plane. But there was a, some time later, a, um, one of the mechanics came to the pilots and said, we found these five bullets that had not exploded in the plane. And he says, we don't know what it means. And they gave it to the pilot and the pilot then they they gradually opened up the uh, the shell and as they opened up the shell they found wads of paper in there and in the wads of paper it said we are Polish prisoners of war we are being forced by the Germans to make ammunition but we are putting paper in wherever we can <laughs> and we don't know what difference it's going to make that's all we can do and folk I think there are times where we feel we can't do much. But you know, the little you do is absolutely vital for God. The little you do is all that God asks of you. All he says is be faithful to me. And here was Jesus given to an insignificant family to do a great job. 1 Corinthians I read, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, how it's the, the children who are the ones who are most trusting. You know, people create their own problems when they try to work God out. Might as well give up because God's much bigger than that. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify those that are. Joseph and Mary chosen because they were obedient to their God and said, we will do whatever God wants us to do. I love it when you read the Magnificat and you just read there that Mary just stored these things up in her heart. God's greatest gift, a helpless infant. Holy, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Isn't that the truth? You know, when, when any of us, and we think back to our conversion, that day we prayed to receive Jesus, something happened. We can't explain it. We can't write a book about it. But we know that something happened in here. God entered in and filled our heart with his love and his grace. And that is really, really precious. Charles Swindoll tells the story of how he went into a soup, a big, uh, one of those big shops in, in America, and he said they, this particular company had made, a, uh, made the baby Jesus and had him in a cradle, and there they were trying to sell them. And uh, they had them in the store, and they, they found that they weren't selling very well. And Swindoll said he came and he saw there this sign, Jesus Christ, mark down 50%, get him while you can. That's ridiculous, isn't it? But I tell you what, I looked at that and I thought, Jesus Christ, get him while you can. Get him while you can. We come to Christmas to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to Christmas to remember that God, our Heavenly Father, who put this whole creation in place, sent his son to be a little bub to live among us, to grow among us, to die, rise again, provide our salvation. And I'm sure Jesus would say, get me while you can because there are going to be many who are going to miss out on knowing the King of Kings for a whole host of reasons. A lot will say they're too busy. Sad, isn't it? We'll never be too busy for Jesus. Jesus came to earth silently and humbly. He came like every other being, entirely dependent on his parents. God took on the form of a man. God, through his son, showed how you can live a holy life in a sinful world. And, folk, we need to be people as Christians who are walking with the Lord, I pray that we might be people who are daily and constantly covered by the blood of Christ so that we know that as we live in a sinful world, world we can be here but we don't have to be controlled by it. 
because God wants to transform our lives. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to know that he is our Lord. It doesn't matter what our life experience might be. It doesn't matter what your life circumstances might be throwing at you, even right now. We still have the assurance of Emmanuel, God with us. Wow. God with us. God with me. God with you. We need to sit and just say, God, I stand in awe and marvel at your wondrous wondrous gift to me today. Lord, make me the person you want me to be. At this Christmas time, Lord, do that. On that first Christmas morning, there in the stable, a little babe, God with us, Emmanuel. Folk, we are a blessed people. I think sometimes we don't even know how blessed we are. But we have been blessed by God himself. The final verse of that carol says, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord. Emmanuel, the greatest gift God could ever give was his son. What will we do with him? What will we do with him? I always love to come to Christmas time. What do we enjoy at Christmas time? Receiving gifts. So good, isn't it? It shows that somebody must love me or they feel... Oh, no, no, they must love me, really love me because they want to give me a gift. And I often talk about Christmas time because I, I love visuals. And somebody cared for me enough to give me this gift. It's beautifully wrapped. It's got my name on it. And I think, isn't that beautiful? Do you like gifts? Has Vicky got that one for you yet? Uh, no, it doesn't fit. Doesn't fit, okay. But the thing is, we, we get this gift and it's, and it's beautiful. We love gifts. And, you know, this, this Christmas, because I'm really excited about it and I love to see the gift, what I'm going to do is take this gift and I'm just going to put it on my shelf and I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to constantly look at it and I think, wow, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? That's what I just want to remember that. If you like my grandson, you say, Granddad, it's not the package, it's what's in it that counts. And I want to say to us today, folk, the Lord Jesus Christ came, the greatest gift ever given. Are you going to leave him gift wrapped? Or are you going to open the gift and receive everything that God is giving to you this Christmas? Not about the package, is it? But it's about the spirit of God that has been poured out into our hearts and we say, Lord, 
even though I've been a, a Christian for many, many years, Lord, help me unwrap the gift again. Lord, help me this Christmas season to see your wonder, to see your majesty. Lord, I want the very best you have for me. Oh, I thank God for a little child that came to transform the world. But it's no use if I leave it gift wrapped, is it? If that gift has been given and I just do not bother to open it, God has given his gift in vain. And today, I want us to be a people who not only receive that gift afresh, but that we would know the Spirit of God filling our hearts with his love and that we would come today as a church and say, Lord, I want your absolute best for me today. Lord, I'm going to open my heart and I'm going to put my life on the altar for you. Yes, I know that you sent your son. I'm going to take him. Lord, make me the person you want me to be. And when we do that, folk, we will see a transformation take place that we could not even imagine. Let's see Christ afresh this year.